Hi there, and welcome back to the ATD NYC Unlocked podcast with your hosts, Marina Field and Samantha Peller. We're shaking things up today and are thrilled you're here with us and ready to dive into our first ever roundtable discussion. We have brought together three of our exceptional colleagues from the ATD NYC chapter, each with their own unique experiences and perspectives on the field to discuss the topic of creating effective learning environments. And of course, this wouldn't be an unlocked episode if we didn't have trivia. So let's get this episode started. Taking it over to Marina. Thanks, Samantha. So, so excited to have our roundtable panelists here today. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce everyone. So the first person we have is Maggie Nelson, and she is VP of Membership at ATD NYC. Outside of ATD, she has a range of learning and development and HR roles in the finance and healthcare tech spaces. Next up, we have Greg Simpson, who has been chapter president for several years in the past and has also served as an advisor to the board. Career-wise, he's worked in multiple roles that have allowed him to focus on transformation and change enablement. He currently focuses on the employee experience in his company, Agent in Engagement. Finally, we have James Wolf, VP of Marketing. James has experience working in training and development and currently works as a professional branding specialist helping executive candidates showcase their talents. Welcome to the show, everyone. We're so excited to have you here today to talk about this topic of effective learning and how to create an effective learning environment. So I was just going around looking at the ATD National website as one does in their spare time, and I came across this posting about creating an effective learning environment. And I thought, well, who else would know about this topic? And I thought the three of you, of course, would have perspectives and opinions on how you could go about creating this. So that's why we brought you all together to talk about this. So we're going to go around one at a time and just ask you, what do you think contributes to creating an effective learning environment? Who'd like to go first? I'm going to go ahead and say James. (laughs) I was thinking it was going to be my like seniority and and then I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely at the bottom there. But no, okay. You know what? I have a very big suggestion for every organization, every learning and development specialist, and that is to make sure you get buy-in. I think there's a lot of professionals out there that will have excellent analyses they conduct. They know exactly what the issue is. They get Maybe they'll get buy-in from some of the, the senior level folks, but then once you get to the actual the managers in the trenches or to the employees themselves on the front lines, customers or with whatever the case may be, that's going to be harder to get them to really learn the material unless you get them to buy in. So that is my biggest thing. Now, how much we want to go in depth on that? Uh, I'll leave that up to you, Marina. Maybe we build on that later. Maybe somebody else would like to talk about it a little bit more first and then I'll build on it. Anyone else agree, disagree, have something different that they want to say? I'd love to piggyback off that a bit and talk about manager and supervisor support. So really having that protected time and a plan to drive the change and embed the behavior. So you're given the space and the trust to dedicate time to whatever style of learning opportunity it is. And then after the fact, you're given a few at-bats under your belt to really try to implement what you've learned. And it's in a safe space and you've been given feedback along the way to further drive change. So interestingly enough, you both hit on something that's similar on what I have on my list. 
one of the things I was talking about was personalization and relevance. So it goes back to making sure if you, if you have executive buy-in that people understand what the training is for, why they're going to be trained, how that's going to impact their careers, enhance their, their knowledge and their jobs. And specifically around analyzing that training based on their learning styles and skills and things like that. Again, that's, that's one of the things that I was thinking about. The other one that kind of goes along with Maggie's is more of a creating a connection to community around training. And that really involves when you're in the training, having the ability to apply what you're learning, like Maggie was saying. So having opportunities to encourage group discussions or group activities, case studies, problem solving exercises, anything like that, that gets everybody together. You develop friendships and learn about different ways of thinking from your peers. And eventually that leads to a community where you can continue that on outside of the classroom. But basically, I think what Maggie's trying to say is the training needs to go beyond the training. I just want to jump in and, and agree with you, Greg, because I feel like many of the trainings that I've gone to that had that element, they just are so much more impactful when years later, you're still connecting with those same people because you went through that experience as a group. I don't know, Samantha, what are you thinking? Yeah, I was actually just thinking about a conversation that I had with my colleague today about all of this. And a lot of times with training, there isn't that buy-in and you'll see the consequences that the learners aren't able to adapt to whatever it is that you are training on. So that's very important because without that buy-in and adaption, learners will be left behind, especially depending on how forward-moving the organization is. You don't want to be kept behind and left in the dark because that organization is charging forward. And the less that you're willing to adapt and take on these new skills, the more consequences there will be. And we'll leave it at that. So I want to turn it back to James because you look like you were dying to say something a minute ago. Yeah. So it's funny. Greg made a nice reference there to telling people, you know, those stakeholders, the learners, what's in it for them. And also to add on to that, to show them ways that this training that's being conducted to further the goals of the organization, yes, but how this training can also be applied in other contexts. Some of the training I was due for customer service, best practices, and for de-escalation at a role recently, I had people that were a little resistant to it, but it was really fun to connect the dots for them about how they could use it in other areas. And one of the best examples I had was a guy that he was in a relationship that was great and happy and loving, but he he voiced how the de-escalation techniques I was training on could be used if he needed them with his significant other. And I just, I thought that was hilarious. Now, you know that he's going to remember that. And the other people in that learning session were going to be remembering it later on as I did, as I gave them handouts that talked about the de-escalations, the three R's of de-escalation by Myra Golden. Look that up. It's very helpful. And, you know, they're going to be like, oh yeah, that's right. So he was talking about uh, how he could use this even when he's not at work and Hopefully they remember to use it at work all the time going forward. I was just going to say, that's an interesting example, Greg. I was going to say, you know, as we move more towards skills-based organizations, I think that's going to be even more important to help people understand how things can be applied in multiple ways across personal life, professional life, so they can build their skills and enhance their skills as they move forward in their careers. Full belts. Yep. And transferable skills, always very important yes. in this career landscape. I'd love to go back to something that Greg had mentioned in terms of collaborative learning. I'm at a company right now that's predominantly remote. And so creating those collaboration opportunities have been so important. I find peer learning to be really powerful. It's a fast and scalable way to drive diverse perspectives and see how others problem solve. And so while it may feel a bit outdated to still get 
in a Zoom room, it's just still such a powerful tool. And so I find myself using that in learning, but also in meetings to help drive additional brainstorming and, and ideation. I think that's a good point, Maggie, is that learning isn't just classroom or something, you know, the learning development department comes down. That peer, the peer-to-peer learning is really important and how can companies encourage that more? This conversation is great. I want to hear what are some more ideas that you have around cultivating a learning environment? What's in it for me? So I think we kind of started to talk about that, have those transferable skills in other places. I had a little bit of pushback when I was trying to get the buy-in from some people during this training rollout that had been at the organization for a while, and they were worried that with a merger going on, that the reason the training was happening was because they were doing things wrong. And I tried to always stress that, no, it's it's for, you know, your benefit primarily. So you become an even more effective professional in whatever area they were working in at that organization. Having these extra skills in their toolkit and their tool belt was just going to help them long term with whatever they wanted to do. So I would often have to say like, okay, so, well, when you are going to start learning about how to more effectively, proactively approach these situations, you're going to be able to use this to further your career with addressing any issues you see coming up before they become like a problem or impediment to your success. James, I'm just going to push back with you a little bit. How is that different from buy-in? <laughs> How is it different with what's in it for me? I think buy-in can be a very lip service, lip service style of agreement. Whereas and somebody could say, oh yeah, I know I need to do it because you're telling me. Right. So they can buy into it that way. But when you actually tell them what's in it for you, that transcends and I, I believe gets the learner more engaged. I read a really good book a few years ago called Designing Modern Learning by Crystal Kadakia, which introduces what they call the learning cluster design model. And its intent is to really surround learners with assets that address the performance gap and the flow of work. So inside and outside of the classroom, not reinventing the wheel, upgrading the assets you already have. Think about how much training may exist in an organization that seemingly feels outdated and we would feel best just to throw it in the trash. And what the book got me thinking about was really the variety of assets that we need to provide for different learning styles, just like Greg had mentioned before. And so deploying the core material in a variety of ways in communications and job aids and in your training and in the behavioral nudges afterwards. And it made me really think about focusing on the the core of the design and then the creative license of different ways to deploy it once that was settled. Completely agree, uh, Maggie. One of the, the other things I was going to talk about was accessibility and inclusivity. And that kind of gets along with yours. How do people like to learn How do they need to learn based on their physical, mental abilities, things like that? How do we incorporate that in there? Because right now it's kind of a one-size-fits-all for most companies, I think. A lot of people like to learn on their own. We force them into group learning. So how do we we find a balance between that so that people are comfortable and can move forward with their learning? I'd love to touch on behavioral nudges in here from Greg and James, how you've implemented these. I've worked in worlds where it's been very handmade in terms of nudging an audience after a specific training module. In one company where we implemented a learning management system, we were able to leverage the technology to send you an email that was fairly generic in nature. It pulled in the the title and the instructor and the date of the training, 
to ask you to reflect on what have you learned? What have you experimented with? What should you be collecting feedback on now? What are you going to do in the next 24 hours? And so I think that there's something to be said about behavioral nudges in a more gamified and scalable way. But for now, I see companies and vendors that I work with managing some of these nudges at the traditional mile mile markers, whether it's a week or a few weeks or a few months. And I think the reminder is really powerful in the flow of work for really busy individuals who are well-intentioned when they come to their training or absorb information, but life just sometimes gets in the way. If you have senior leaders or just even your direct supervisors modeling the behavior, I believe those are the, the best way that you'll see nudges, right? With sending updates or me, even if I would chase down somebody to try to get examples of situations where they've utilized the training, it wasn't going to be as effective as if they saw their their immediate supervisor doing exactly what they were told they should be doing. And that goes towards buy-in again. Also, if you have that manager who's against what you're saying and they don't exemplify it, how are you going to expect to get any sort of results, no matter how many nudges you do and in what way? So getting the managers to consistently show it and then even prompt their employees. I liked after the training I did at one point, one of the guys walked out and he yelled out, I'm being proactive and immediately walked up to a customer to start helping them. (laughs) <laughs> like where, whereas normally his entire group, like his team generally would not do that. You know, they would be proactive. So seeing it exemplified right there from your team, really important. For me, I've encouraged a lot of my clients to actually incorporate those learnings into their everyday meetings. So they have a lot of meetings, which I try to get them to stop, but they like their meetings anyway. But one of the questions is, you know, what have you learned today? And it doesn't have to be anything related to the company. But with, you know, all the advancements in AI and all that kind of stuff, it's really a way to kind of get all levels of, of people in the company to be able to share what they know and then potentially train or help other people learn that information at the same time. Yeah, I'll just jump in and say, too, I don't know if I'm allowed to play along since I do know the answers already. But one thing I can say based on what the conversation has been thus far is Tying it all together, that employee engagement in the learning process is imperative. I've seen where learners might get a training and then that's a one and done, right? But if you can keep that going along to tie together one learning and training to another, to another, and then keep that that all kind of tied together and moving, then that's going to help the process and keep people feel like the process is leading up to something, including what James said of what's in it for me, because tying all those things together, they're hopefully going to have an outcome that is meaningful to them, that either is related to the job or something related to their own personal development that they can say is rewarding and fulfilling and not just, like I said, one and done kind of training. So like I said, even though I know the answers on the back end, I'll just add that into the conversation that I've seen from my own experience. Now, Samantha, you're, you're really speaking my language at this point. Yes. From an employee experience standpoint, when I go into a company, the first thing they want to do is a survey. And I'm like, we don't need to do a survey. And they're like, but you need to understand where people are. I'm like, I can tell you right now the four areas that we need to focus on, make improvements there, and then we can do a survey and you'll get much better, better, better feedback and information. One of those four that's on every, if you go to any survey that's been done, one of the top four things that people want is more learning and development. 
So company, you know, this is something that companies really need to be focused more on than they are right now. They, I think they think we do a lot of learning, you know, we do a lot of training, things like that, but they don't really encourage that learning environment that people are looking for. I think that must have been a, a mic drop because there was just complete <laughs> silence. That was very profound, Greg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, because there was that pause, maybe moving right along, then we'll take another idea of what y'all feel like would make a good training environment. If you have any other. Yeah, let's just do it. One last round. Oh, if you have okay. Say so, uh, diversity in the tools you're using for the training it's it's nice to have a little bit of perhaps a uh, subject matter expert led training where you know that you're getting the best way to do something whether that is a training professional or it's even your your manager who's been doing it for years and that's how he got promoted so it's great to have that but then to also have it modeled to to be able to practice whatever the different learning objectives were going to be in a safe environment without immediately having a customer or a machine break and get upset at you. That's important. And I started doing VR training, extended reality training. So maybe if your organization is able to do that, that'll not only increase engagement, but provide a a new novel way of learning that will cement whatever those objectives are in the learner's mind. And James, I think that's very interesting. I ran into a situation where the people we thought knew what they were doing actually didn't know what they were doing. They were the subject matter experts. I went into the company and I set in on three different SME trainings, subject matter experts, SME, and yeah. they all trained something different and all a different way. And it, little, it ended up stopping the project until we could get them all on the same page before we get everybody else up to speed. So just a little caveat that, you know, people may have been the company for a long time, but make sure that, that that's exactly what the company is looking for um, Did you- in terms of their knowledge. Before you started implementing that training, did you do any sort of org analysis that would have, like an observation that would have caught these guys having completely different management styles that you needed to address? Did anyone even give you that background? This was No, this was a huge transformation with a large beverage company, spirits company, actually. And they were going through a lot of chaos, a lot of change all at the same time. The project actually failed in the end. Um, just because there was too much going on and people didn't really even understand their own job, literally trying to train them into a new job. But I just, I was invited along as part of the project team. At this, It was a go live. It was the first time they were going to be doing this to rolling it out to everybody. And that's when I realized after those three meetings that we have a problem. That's too bad. All that yeah. time already wasted. If yes. you'd been able to, there's a couple of people I'm sure that'll jump in and immediately say you should never rush any sort of training, like a, an organizational analysis, because you could be putting all of your training priorities on the wrong topic. And I'll I'll build on that too and say that that would have absolutely happened in this last place I was at because each location had a different way of doing things. They had different SOPs. They had different clientele they were dealing with. The technology they were all using was different. So luckily I got buy-in to do my, my analysis before. So when I made the training, I was able to do it a lot more effectively. And But I still had leaders that were, you could tell, not leading from the front. So it would have been horrible to have that subject matter expert stand up and then be completely giving them a bad idea. I feel for you in that case. All right. I'm just going to jump in. I think we're going to close this out. But before we do, I just want to check in with Maggie. Any closing thoughts? I think it's really important for learning professionals to also keep their own skills sharp. I worked at an organization for a really long time where I felt like I had access to the best and the brightest 
in terms of instructional design and learning and development. And joining a forum like ATD really opened up my eyes to the way people do things in such different industries. In one of my first ATD events, I was in a breakout room with an individual who was designing learning and development for something to the effect of Rikers Island. And he was talking about how he measured impact for training. And so having access to colleagues in, you know, the the ecosphere who uh, have different styles has been really beneficial to me. And so I encourage everyone out there to think about what the right community is for them. And we would love for you to join our community here at ATDNYC. You can check out atdnyc.org or email us at contact at atdnyc.org to find out more. That's the VP of membership right there. That's uh, absolutely jumping in. I'll say, it, yeah. I do want to get back to our original article. I'll let you all know what the actual posting said. So let's switch to that for a second. So for those of you who are following along, it was a posting on, again, the ATD national site, and it was called Top 5 Trends in Talent Development to Cultivate a Learning Environment. And it was a posting by MHS Assessments. Now, we've just had a really rich discussion, and I think everything that was said was applicable, and some of it actually did overlap with the article. So the first trend that the article identifies is train for soft skills, so just focusing on that soft skills gap. And we actually had an earlier episode this season, Scott Asai, talk about soft skills and the importance of soft skills. The second is track skill development. So making sure that you're tracking the development and progress of the employees. Third is having options for employee learning preferences, which I think is something that we've all talked about, like that came up in the discussion. Fourth is learning is essential for managers too. And by this, they were talking about the fact that, you know, goes to that conversation we're having about buy-in and making sure managers are involved and attending events. So we definitely spoke a lot about that there. And the final one that they had was people analytics and how important that is. We also had an episode earlier this season with Sai Islam, who also talked about the importance of people analytics. But again, I think that you all came up with some really interesting, great ideas that I never would have thought of. I mean, what about you, Samantha? Yeah, I definitely could hear throughout the conversation this overlap, but I'm so excited that you did come up with these other ideas as well for our listeners, because it's going to have them think about ways to enhance their training environments when they go back to their workplaces. So thank you so much for this really enlightening conversation. And for you listeners out there, if you have ideas on what's needed to create an effective learning environment, please send us an email. Let us know. You can reach us at contact at atdnyc.org with the subject line unlocked. All right, so now we're going to transition to my favorite part of the episode, and that is trivia. So trivia has been a mainstay of the Unlock podcast. So, of course, we would love for you, our roundtable guests, to join us in answering a few trivia questions. ATDNYC and the Unlock podcast are all about development. And so the theme of today's trivia is movie questions that involve some aspect of training or development. So it doesn't have to be classroom training or anything like that, but just some type of training or education was being conducted. 
The first person to get the question correct gets a point. For those of you listening in, we encourage you to play along. It's all fun and games, so no losers. Only development is happening here. All right, Samantha, go ahead. Kick it off. Let's do this, guys. First question. Everybody ready? In the movie Cool Runnings, after failing to qualify for the Olympics in track and field, four men trained to compete on the bobsled team. What Caribbean country did they represent? Jamaica. Jamaica. Yep. Maggie, your answer is? It's Jamaica. (laughs) And Uh the answer is Jamaica. The movie was loosely based on the 1988 Jamaican bobsled team. Very good, everyone. All right. So the next question. In the original Rocky movie, Sylvester Stallone plays Rocky Balboa, a boxer who's training for a championship fight. As a part of his training, we see him running up some stairs. What Philadelphia institution do these steps belong to? Is it the library? That is incorrect. It's a museum. It's a Franklin Institute? Not the Franklin Institute, but it is a museum. We can give you both partial partial credit for that. It was the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And every year, thousands of people mimic Rocky's training, running up that 72 step, those 72 steps. There's even a Rocky statue at the bottom of the steps commemorating the movie. So if you're ever in the area, you can definitely do it. But I also recommend visiting the museum as well. Adrian! Thanks for that, James. Okay, on to the next question. Talk about learning engagement here. This is fun. Question number three. The movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, again, we're bringing it on back, was about the lives of four salesmen. Alec Baldwin's character, Blake, is sent to motivate them. What does he say the letters A, B, C stand for? Always be closing. Man, I, I actually didn't exactly know, but I swear I heard that on a video just the other day, and I was going to buzz in with a wrong answer, just kind of shoot in the dark, and it was going to be always be something, and I, I was working on that as you, as you answered. I think it pays to be old on this on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> hey, cool runnings. The second you started talking about it, I could just picture John Candy in that. Like, I love it. This, I'm going to come back just for the trivia portions from now on, if that's okay. <laughs> And for y'all who haven't seen these movies, too, you'll have to watch them now that you've heard our (laughs) trivia questions based on that. All right. Last question. In the movie Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which character was so into learning that they used a device to turn back time so they could attend multiple classes at the same time? Hermione Granger, of course. Come on. Craig and James. James was dying to say that. James got first. <laughs> I watch a show called Um Actually, and it's so great because they do this trivia, but you can't beep it at any point and throw out the answer. So that's why I'm all excited. <laughs> so, Marina, who would you say the winner is? So I'm trying to count. I might have miscounted, but I think I have that James got two, Greg got three and a half and Maggie got two and a half. So the winner would be, although there's, again, there's no losers, but the winner is Greg. Yay, Greg. Like I said, oh. it pays to be a little old. So, so s- s- speed of the answer did not matter at all. 
I, I gather that now. I should have confirmed that. <laughs> yeah, James, it would be helpful for you to listen to the whole question sometimes. <laughs> All right, no worries, no worries. It's all about growth and development. Though. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're growing, developing right now, so you know next time you play, you, you're, you've got the experience. You'll do better. For ATD, I want to do a game night. So now this has inspired me. We'll, we'll get a board game. We'll do some trivia night stuff. Let's do it. All right. Well, we just want to thank you all for participating today. We had a really great episode. Before we leave, we just want to give you an opportunity to let people know how to get in touch with you and is is there anything you want to say to the audience and we can just go around whoever wants to go first can go first so i think for me the one thing to take away is make learning and development an experience for your people if you keep that in mind i think you'll you'll hit a lot of the things that we talked on today and if you'd like to learn more about me i would suggest that you find me on linkedin connect with me there i'll go next uh always be closing well i've got my own it's abl it's always be learning Try to <laughs> just going to copyright that right now, patent it. Uh, so I, I would say that, uh, yeah, always be learning. Try to have a growth mindset, approach those new opportunities, and try to get other people passionate about it as well. You know, I think that'll that'll increase your chances of getting buy-in if you can get people happy about learning some new stuff. And then if you want to find me with my LinkedIn, that'd be awesome. I'm looking at doing some work in not only learning and development, but training with VR, with professional branding. So it'd be nice to talk to you. And also, if you're wanting to get to know some of these awesome things that we are talking about with the people that have been here today, try to join ATD, NYC. There are a lot of different areas that I would not have had any familiarity with, if not for ATD. It started out with ATD Long Island and actually Sai Islam. There's no way I would have learned all the stuff I have in the last eight months of being a part of the board, if not for being here with all these people. So definitely worth it. My parting words would be to be practical, really think about your learners, be creative, and really have some fun as a designer, program manager. And I would love to stay in touch with our listeners. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Maggie Nelson, and we would love to see you as part of our chapter. Please visit atdnyc.org to learn more about joining or email contact at atdnyc.org. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the ATD NYC Unlocked podcast. We hope you found this episode engaging and informative and that you've gained new perspectives in the talent and development industry. If you like this episode and are interested in finding out more about the ATD NYC chapter, visit our website at atdnyc.org. That's atdnyc.org. And if you'd like to join the chapter, use the code ATDNYCTEN. That's ATDNYCTEN to get 10% off your new individual membership fee. Now stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, Keep striving to unlock your potential in the field of talent and development.